Well, good morning. Yeah, it was kind of weak, but that's all right. It's, I saw the weather out there this morning. It looked like a good nap day today. And uh, we'll see if we can prevent you from, from napping today. Obviously, I'm not Travis. I'm only half the man that Travis is. That's all I can ever hope to be. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, Michael had mentioned a number of things that are coming up. We've already had some events. In here, just a week ago, we could go Sunday night, we had uh, Grace Scott Talent. And so it was an opportunity for some of our uh, youth uh, to uh, use the, uh, the God-given talents for them. There was some singing, and uh, we had somebody uh, do the hosting of it, did a great job, and all that went really well. Uh, the, the place was filled up. We had a little dinner and stuff. There were tables all over. Everything was full. It was really a good time, good experience. I hope we do it again. Uh, one of the unusual things that happened, they had a, a, a dad joke contest. Aaron's over here. He and uh, Pastor Travis went and they had a contest, and they told dad jokes back and forth. And uh, whoever laughed first between the two uh, was the loser. Travis laughed, and he, and he lost. So... Uh, but I was thinking about dad jokes. You know, dad jokes are really, uh, it's hard to pull them off the internet and read them. They're really silly if you think about it. It's got to be something that happens in that moment. That's why, thus, a dad joke. Your kid says something, and your dad has some sort of, you know, snarky, you know, funny, whatever, comment back. It's happened all my life. I've, I've, I've done so many dad jokes that my wife does dad jokes on me now. And I'll say something, and she'll throw back, and I'll go, well, that's really good, you know. Uh, that's impressive. I'm a good teacher. Um, I just, to give an example of it, last night I was uh, working on the sermon here, and my middle child, my daughter, she texts me and she says, Hey, Dad, do you have a stud finder? And I text back, Yes, your mother. <laughs> there you go. So dad jokes, they go and they, they continue on. Um, but we're glad that you're here with us today and as we talk about Christmas, and we're actually going to have the reasons for Christmas rejoicing, and uh, uh, we're going to get to our portion of Scripture. It's going to be in the book of Matthew. I know usually it's in Luke, but we're going to be in Matthew in chapter 2, but I've got a little talk and things I want to set up before I I do all that. Uh, One of the things is I want to make a confession of of something that I've plotted to do for for many years, and it grew in the plotting. I've confessed it to some of you as individuals. And uh, I finally I confessed it in the other service, and so I'm going to get all out of my system. I'll be done with this, I believe, I hope. Uh, but uh, I've plotted to kidnap Jesus. And so, and I know you'll look at me, that's kind of weird, but I did. I've plotted to kidnap Jesus. On the other end of the building, there's a manger scene, there's a little baby Jesus there. And I've plotted to kidnap him. The reason why is after they had put that up in one of the, who knows, one of the years following, sometime after, uh, something was said about, oh, and we look forward to the coming of the newborn king. And I looked in the manger and went, he's already sitting in there. And I went, hmm, wouldn't it be fun to kidnap Jesus? And I started plotting maybe to do that. And I thought, that would be nice. Now, if I just took Jesus, then they would be worried. Somebody stole Jesus. And I don't want to know if Jesus was stolen. So I thought, maybe I'll put a little note in the manger and says, See you on Christmas Day, you know, and just make him reappear on that day. And so I, I, I kind of plod that in my mind. I didn't go through with it. But when people would tell me something about the manger or something, I'd always bring up that story and, and kind of laugh about it. I plotted it. But I never let it loose. And I thought, well, now if I wanted to kidnap Jesus, people know about it. 
So how could I kidnap Jesus now that I've told some people I would like to kidnap Jesus? And so uh, I thought, well, you know, I could, I could get somebody to kidnap Jesus for me. I mean, I actually thought about this. I could go, who could I ask to kidnap Jesus for me? So when somebody ratted on me and, and Jesus was missing, baby Jesus, and they go, where's Jesus? And they go, I don't know, but Danny said that he would kidnap Jesus. And they would, they'd come to me, I could go, you know, I didn't do it. But, you know, they probably question me, and I can't lie. I'd have to admit, yeah, I plotted to do it. So, you know, I went through that state. But then I actually started, how could I, and I actually went through, listen, this is my thinking. I actually went through, you know what? I could write a note, put some money in it, and drop it off in some people who would think like-minded, like me, like the men in the kitchen. And just leave a note and just say, to whom it may concern, and let them open them up. And goes, here's $20, kidnap Jesus secretly. If he reappears, as he should, on Christmas Day, there's another $80 for you in it, you know. And just side anonymous. And, and the cool thing about that is that, as we know, that Jesus died for our sins and he paid the ransom of us. I could say, well, I paid the ransom on Jesus. Wouldn't that be really cool? And so I tell you all that. We'll, we'll bring it all back into focus a little bit later. But we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Jesus. And there's a lot of things that lead up to Christmas Day. And then we celebrate the day that the, the Savior came and was born. And I want to go through the Christmas story here. And I'm going to go and I'm going to focus on a portion of Scripture that just kind of, it just kind of gets, falls in the cracks. We just kind of lose it. Because we have the big Christmas story and then it's done. And we, this little portion, we kind of gloss over it. Uh, and then we, we pick up in Jesus' life and his ministry, and we go and, and do a lot of studies on that. But there's a portion of Scripture, and the amazing thing of it, and the title for my sermon today, so to speak, is, to, is that uh, there's a reason for Christmas rejoicing. And when we get to the Scripture here, we're going to end up going, okay, where are we going to find that at? And you'll be amazed where the rejoicing is in it. But before we get there, let me paint... The story of Christmas. Let's go through Luke. Luke is what we all know about on the Christmas story. It, we, we usually start in Luke chapter 2. But in Luke chapter 1, the story starts with a girl named Mary. Angel appears to her and says, don't be afraid. And he says, you're going to have a baby. And she goes, oh my, how could that happen? I'm a virgin. And this says, oh, what's going to happen inside of you is of God and the Holy Spirit. And uh, abort uh, would be born to you. You will name him Jesus, and he, because of him, the kingdom will never end. And she says, okay, I will do that. And then we get into Luke 2. There's some other stuff in Luke chapter 1 about John the Baptist, but then the Christmas story goes into Luke 2. And in Luke 2, that's where we, we get the story of uh, Caesar Augustus saying everybody's got to be taxed. Mary and Joseph at this time now are married, and they're li- living in Nazareth, and that's up in uh, Galilee. And so... They're ordered to go back to his hometown, and so he goes back and he travels to Bethlehem. And we know how that story goes. There's no room for them in the inn, so they go and they stay in the stable. And uh, Jesus is born, and they place him in a, a feeding trough. And then while that's happening, the shepherds, they're out, and they're just minding their business watching the sheep. And an angel appears, goes, fear not. And he says, hey, I bring you great joy. Today, a Savior has been born, and you will find him down here in a stable, and he's wrapped up in in warm clothes. And so uh, then a whole multitude of angels appear, and they sing glory to God in the highest. And then they disappear, and the shepherds go, let's go check this out. And so they travel down to the stable, where they find it just as it said, Mary, Joseph, and the baby. 
and they were in awe because of the things that happened. And the scripture said they went away praising God and telling everybody that they knew, oh, we met Jesus. The scripture goes on from there in the story of Jesus. About eight days later, they take uh, Jesus to be circumcised, which was a normal uh, ritual that they did in that uh, culture. And then we find a few days after that, they take Jesus to the temple. And at the temple, this is where they're uh, going to give him the purification uh, ceremony. When he's there, an old man named Simeon has been in the temple for a long time. God had told him that he wouldn't die until his eyes laid on the salvation of the world. And lo and behold, Jesus comes in, and I don't know how, it must, must be through God. He goes, this is the one, and he praises God that he finally got to see uh, the promised one. And while that's going on, what, uh, a prophetess named Anna, she was an old lady, and she lived around the temple, and she came up, and she's like, oh, this is the child. And she actually prophesied some things that would happen uh, to, to Jesus and with his family and stuff. And anyway, then the book of Luke, right after that happens, the thing in the temple, it says, they go home to Nazareth. And so that's the story of Luke. Now, if you know the story of Christmas, you go, well, there's a big part missing there. You didn't say anything about the wise men. That's because they're not in the book of Luke. Uh, if you went and you took the book of Matthew... Matthew fills in the gaps for us. And a lot of times, because of time, we don't look at Matthew. Let's go back in Matthew chapter 1. Right after Mary has an angel visit to say, hey, you're going to have a baby, the next thing that happens in line, that happens in Matthew. And the stories of Joseph. And he's just talked with Mary, and she says, I'm going to have a baby. And he knows it's not his. So Matthew chapter 1 tells his story. And his story is that he's going to divorce her. He's going to quietly put her away. Now, uh, the, he was betrothed to be her and, and to marry her. And the betrothal uh, was a little more than engagement. Okay, there's probably papers written up and, and saying that this is going to happen. And after they had the betrothal for a time, there was a, a marriage. And so uh, legally, he was bound to go with Mary. But the scripture said he was a just man. And he didn't want to embarrass Mary, so he was quietly going to divorce her. And then he had this dream. Okay? And in the dream, an angel tells him not to fear. And he tells him that he should go ahead and he should marry Mary. Isn't that fun? Mary, Mary. Uh, and quite contrary. And he would marry uh, Mary and that, uh, and that this child that would be born was to be called Jesus. And actually, the angel tells him of Isaiah 7.14, where uh, the, uh, the angel quotes scripture about a, a virgin will conceive and have a son. So actually, the angel saying, we already told uh, you know, a thousand years ago that, that this would happen. And so the scripture tells us that Joseph, after the dream, uh, he got up and he married Mary. And uh, they remained abstinent in their marriage, the scripture says, until after Jesus was born. So that's a lot. We don't hear a lot of that story. You hear that sometimes. Then you go through, now that they're married and they're living in Nazareth, that's where Luke picks up. And that's that whole story where you've got to go down to Bethlehem and, and be registered and they travel and they do all those things. And we go through the whole story of afterward the shepherds and afterward we take them to the temple and all like that. But there's a whole bunch that happens in the last verse of Luke. In the part where that he was... Uh, the prophetess spoke, and they went home. Part of that is the wise men, where the wise men came in. And, and that'll be in a minute here when we get in reading the chapter, but I'll go ahead and tell that story for time. But we have the wise men, 
And the scripture says that they had seen a star and they knew the scripture and they knew that a, a promised child was going to be born. And so they traveled and they came to Bethlehem. Okay, well, not Bethlehem, excuse me. Uh, they, they came into uh, Jerusalem, and Herod was the king. And they approached him, and they said, Hey, there's a prophecy that a king will be born, and we're looking for him. And when they said that, I imagine all the H2O got sucked out of the room. You know, everybody's in there went, you know, quietly, okay? Because he basically came in, to, they came into the king and said, We're coming to worship the one who's going to take your job. Okay, that's kind of what they were, were saying. I mean, if you, you imagine uh, you, you own a business and somebody comes in and, you know, maybe you uh, own Food City down here and you're the manager and they go, hey, I'm in here to see the guy that's going to be the Food City manager is going to be taking your job. And you'd be going, hmm, okay, I want to know more about that. And people probably knew what uh, Herod was like. And they were scared because the scripture tells us when this was said, everybody was really kind of shaken over the comments. So we have uh, Herod and he turns and he goes, I want to know more about this. So the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they said, hey, in the scripture, in the book of Micah, there was a prophecy that a coming Messiah would come uh, and he would be born in Bethlehem. So we have uh, Herod. He summons the wise men and secretly, the, the scripture says, and he says, listen. Right about when did, did this star appear to you? I'm just interested. Like, oh, you know, it, it started. And it, it, they probably, their answer, probably based on some other things in Scripture, was like, it appeared a year ago or something like that. And he goes, okay. He says, listen, when you go and find this new king, let me know so I can come and worship him too. Now, we see right through it, okay? We re- he is plotting to take care of this. First of all, I guess he hopes that maybe they find Jesus. You know how hard it would find Jesus? Imagine, imagine if I said, hey, guess what? The next president of the United States, and I'll, I'll pick on Logan over here. Logan, the next president of the United States is going to be born up in Newland, North Carolina. He's probably under two years old. Go find him. Okay? <laughs> okay, that's, you know, it's not a needle in a haystack, but that's kind of difficult. And, you know, and babies just don't go around wearing the button, I'm going to be the next president. That would be a hard identification to do. And so, you know, Herod probably has some doubts that they're going to find the newborn king. That's why he's wanting to find out the time frame and the place of where this child would be born. Okay, But just in case they do find him, if you find him, let me know. I want to come and worship him. So we have the wise men. They go, and it says the star appears, and the star guides them to Jesus. So they didn't need to look for the I'm the next king button. And they, they uh, find them in the house, most, uh, Joseph and Mary and the baby. And the scripture, they came in, they worshiped Jesus, and, of course, they gave him gifts. And then they're worn through a dream not to return to Herod because Herod had bad intentions. And so that's a story that we hear. You, you probably hear with the wise men. They always appear in the, in the manger scene. Uh, you, you know, they're up there in the, with the shepherds and all like that. No, it was probably at least a year or, or more after that they uh, did that. Of course, they don't go back. And then that's where we get here in the book of Matthew. And so... Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. Let's read and let's find out some ways that we can rejoice on Christmas. It says, Now when they had departed, that's the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, 
Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And they rose and they took the child and his mother by the night and departed to Egypt. And they remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had asserted from the wise men, ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warmed in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and when he and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So there's that whole bunch of stuff that fit in between uh, the temple uh, story that's in Luke chapter 2 and the end where it says they went and lived in Nazarene. There was a whole round trip. There was a whole bunch of things that happened in that. So let's take a look at here and find some reasons for rejoicing. And the first one is found in the verse uh, number 15, okay? And it says, This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. Now, this scripture is from Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. If you go through and you read the scriptures, all that scripture is talking about is how God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. That's what that's about. And so we know that story. The story they're enslaved in Egypt, okay? And God raises up a deliverer, Moses. And he, uh, God says, you know, Moses, I'm going to be with you. Go and speak these words to Pharaoh. But he's, he's going to have a hard heart, okay? It's going to take a while. Uh, but eventually he's going to set uh, the people free. And then we know all about the plagues, the lice, and the, the water to blood, and the frogs, and and the darkness, and all those things. But all, it came together in the tenth plague. And the tenth plague was the one where the, the angel of death came, okay? And they were had an option in this. Unlike Herod's option that we have, he just killed the babies, or in Moses' story where they killed the babies, here was an option. God says, you can, can be passed over by the angel of death by putting the blood on the door, the blood of a lamb. Kill an unblemished blemished lamb, Put the blood on the posts, and the angel will pass over. We don't see where anywhere in Scripture where he says, this is just for the Israelites to do. As far as we know, if you were an Egyptian and you wanted to follow that and the other things that, that God had said, you would be spared. But the Scripture doesn't say anything about that. Uh, and, and we imagine, I guess we usually think that all the Hebrews did that, but it's possible all the Hebrews didn't do that too. So anyway, the angel of death came, came and, and passed over. And that was like the beginning of the last straw. 
And there's a big celebration called the Passover because finally Pharaoh said, okay, I'll let your people go. Go, just get out of here. And, and the, so they plundered the land. They, as they left, God had told them, ask your neighbor, your Egyptian neighbors for stuff. And their Egyptian neighbors like, yeah, you can take whatever you want. Just get out of here. It, it, it's been horrible uh, this whole time. And so they leave. But it actually, their deliverance actually came because Pharaoh changed his mind. And, and we know... Uh, he chased them, and God opened up the sea, and the Israelites passed safely through, and the Egyptian army followed through, and the ocean closed up and drowned them. And that sealed their deliverance. But there's a great celebration. It's a Passover. It's a Passover because the children of Israel were delivered. They had this great exodus out of Egypt. Now... Why would Matthew put this in here? Why would he put it in the scripture? Well, people would know, Bible scholars would go, you know, just like the prophet said, Hosea said, out of Egypt I call my son. Because people will go back and they'll look at that story and they go, well, no, this isn't about Jesus. This is about the Israelites coming out. But uh, 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 uh. This is about Jesus too. You see, the first thing that we can rejoice about is that Jesus was the one that is the great deliverer. He's the one that brings us out. Jesus introduces the new exodus. How many people here heard Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey, okay. Not a lot of hands. I, I, I wish I knew of you more. I, I, as a teenager, uh, I, I remember turning on the radio and we listened to Paul Harvey. He was really awesome at telling, telling stories. And, and he always had this signature at the end of the story. And he'd, he'd go, now you know the rest of the story. And so he would tell you this whole story, and you knew he was coming to a conclusion, and you thought you had it figured out, and then he put a twist on it. it went, one of my favorites went something like this. I don't remember all the names exactly. Uh, but the, the gist of the story was there was uh, this man that, that uh, his job was to throw the switch on railroad tracks. Okay, so where the, the track split, he threw the switch so the train would go this way or that way. And obviously that's a very important thing to do because if you switch the train the wrong way and there's another train on the other track, there could be a collision and lives could be lost. And so, so this guy, uh, that was his job. It was kind of a stationed out in the middle of nowhere and he would do that. And he had a friend, okay? And in this story, we'll say Larry. So Bob was the main guy, and Larry was his friend. And, and that story was, was, you know, Larry was kind of, you know, hunchback, and he didn't have a good walk, and, and you know, he, he was, he, you know, his abilities may not have been there. Maybe even, maybe people even would suspect it in his mind he wouldn't have what to do. But Bob taught uh, Larry what to do, and Bob died. But Larry continued on. And the, the train people, where they would go by, and they would see Larry, and they'd wave him. Because Larry, day after day, night after night, no matter what, he was always on time to throw that switch. The trains never, ever missed. It was always as it should be. Rain, snow, dark of night, no matter what, Larry did his job. And, and you know, and Paul Harvey be telling the story in an amazing way, and you'd be going, oh, okay, because you'd be guessing, Oh, the rest of the story is about your, your faithfulness and your commitment. But right when you thought you had it figured out, and in this story, Paul Harvey goes, now, and he would just branch off, and then he got to this part. This was the cliffhanger on it. Larry was a monkey. 
Okay, Larry was a faithful monkey that threw that switch year after year after year. And, and he would tell a story, and, and right, you'd be going, oh, and he'd go, and now you know the rest of the story. And so here we have, and we look at the book of Luke, and we go, this is really amazing. That the story, and we kind of already know in the, the, the Exodus and stuff, and we know that the, the blood on the doorpost is foretelling what Jesus Christ would do for us when he dies on the cross for us. So we already see that foretelling, but here we have it right here in the scripture where it says that the, part of the reason that God took and he sent this family, Jesus' family, down to Egypt and call them out is just so he could say, just like Moses was the deliverer, Jesus is going to be a deliverer. But you see something different. Moses delivered a nation with God's help. A nation. That was really awesome. But what Jesus is going to deliver is a whole world from their sins. This is the great deliverer. Jesus introduces a new exodus. Well, if I was Paul Harvey, I'd go, and now you know the rest of the story. But you don't. It goes on. Look here in verse 17. Verse 17. Now, this is a hard one. You can say, how are you going to get Christmas rejoicing out of this? Verse 17 says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. If you got your Bible, it's probably worth it to flip over through here. We're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 31 in just a second. Jeremiah 31, if you want to go there. But let me give you the background. Because this story is from the Old Testament. And the reason that, that there's a lot of weeping going on in the Old Testament, we know why in the New Testament, Herod just, Herod just had the, the firstborn and the families died, not only in Bethlehem but the surrounding area. Okay? And that's why I say two years old and younger, he probably, is probably a year later, he just wanted to make sure just in case the wise men missed it, we'll get all the two-year-olds and younger. And he had them all killed. And obviously the, the scripture would relate to it because there was, there was weeping, there was hurt, there was a lot of sadness that's going on. So why would the prophet go back and just go, and just like in the Old Testament, everybody's sad and crying. Hmm. Well, the Old Testament story goes like this. The Babylonians had uh, attacked and defeated the Israelites. And so part of the, what, how they defeated them, rather than leave them in their land, they took them and they divided them up. They separated mother and father and child and grandma and grandpa and uncle and aunt. And they sent them all over the Babylonian kingdom. They separated them. And that's where the weeping comes in because they're looking and they're going, I may never see my family member again. I, I, I like to watch things that have to do with World War, War II. And, of course, uh, if you watch that, you'll see the story of the Holocaust and, and the type where the trains come in and they have some video and stuff sometimes where they're, they're pulling the mom and the dad and the child apart and they're never going to be seen again. And, the, and the, 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 the hardship, the strain, the crying that's going on. Well, this is what's going on and this is the scripture. In fact, if we read here in... Uh, Jeremiah 31, 15, we see that exact verse. It says, Thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. The pain, the sorrow that's here. But look at the following verses. Look at the next two. Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. 
There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. So in this time of weeping, God says, listen, there is hope. It's, it's going to come back together. And we do know the, 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 the nation does come back together. It doesn't come back right away. But God says, listen, this hurts. This is sad right now. But there is hope. There, there's something beyond. There's something bigger that you can hold on to. Now, why would Matthew put this in here? Because the people would go and they look at the scripture and go, well, let's read the Old Testament. And they go, oh, there's hope. There's hope to come back. But listen, look, look down at in chapter 31, verse 31. Follow with me because it gets bigger than that. Here we go. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each uh, one teach his neighbor and Each his brother say, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Isn't that an amazing portion of Scripture? That this weeping, this thing that Pharaoh did, that's such a sad time, that they would take and say, But wait, look back what happened in the sad time in the Old Testament. These are the things that happen. But God says there's hope. In fact, according to Old Testament, it's saying there's a day coming where the things that they learn, the laws that they memorize, will actually can be written on their hearts. It will be something that everyone can hang into and have on the tip of their lips, can have right there before them. You know, That's speaking of Jesus' coming. That's talking about a day of salvation. What it's saying is that in the worst of times, that God is there. Think about it. When when somebody passes away, and we go to their funeral, and we go, yeah, we we know they trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, we say, I'm going to see them someday. There's going to be a great reunion. We can look forward to that. Yes, this is sad now. This is hurt. And, and everybody is hurting. But we have hope. And that's what the scripture saying. Because it's not just for the people. It's hope for eternity. It's something that they can look to at any time frame in history. Whether it was the Old Testament time or the New Testament time or our time right now. It is that hope. Our rejoicing in Christmas because Jesus... There is hope for those who hurt. There is hope for those who hurt. And we can rejoice in that. Matthew 2.23 says this. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So here we have it that... They have been in Egypt, and in a dream, 
Joseph is told that he can take his family back. And so they're traveling back, and as they travel, uh, they get into the Israel area, and they find out Herod's son is now the ruler, and so they're, they're scared. And, and you have to admit, they'd be scared. Uh, if they were expected to go back and live around Bethlehem, okay, not a lot of boys around. You know, you, you walk around, you know, Bethlehem Elementary and look on the playground and go, oh, you know, 25 girls and one boy. Hmm. Uh, and so the scripture said Joseph was, was fearful. So God in another dream appeared to him and said, go back to Nazareth. And that was to help fulfill the scripture, okay, that he would be a Nazarene. So this says it was spoken by the prophets. Now, we, we've heard prophets Micah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea. What prophet speaks about that he would be a Nazarene? And the answer is none of them. There's none. It's, it's, you won't find it. You can't go back in the Old Testament and find anything saying that he would be a Nazarene. So, why would we put that in here? I mean, uh, Matthew did such a good job of, of saying, hey, look back in the Old Testament. Jesus is fulfilling these things. Why would he miss the boat, so to say, right here? And it's in the word Nazarene. Well, I think one of the easiest things on Nazarene is we can go back into the uh, New Testament. At, when Jesus, he's, he's uh, going around and he's preaching, and we have... Uh, Philip. Philip becomes one of the disciples. And he, but before he's a disciple, he goes, Hey, I went and I listened to this guy named Jesus in preaching. And the things that he says, I believe that he might be the coming Messiah. And he tells Nathaniel, And this is what Nathaniel says there. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so there you have a description of Nazareth. Okay? That it's a place that we don't see that good can come from. So uh, you could kind of look at it like this, okay? I'm going to throw some things out there, and uh, and you're either going to really agree with it or really disagree with it. Pick the the ugliest one in your mind what it is and go with it. I'm going to throw some political stuff up. I'm going to throw both sides, just, you know, keep it even. Uh, You pick something, okay? So, I mean, let's go Democrat, Republican. Okay, you like one, you hate the other. Think of the one you hate, what you like the least. Okay, so you got public, uh, you got um, uh, you got police and Antifa. Okay, there's some opposites there. Uh, you might go, uh, uh, let's see, con- conservative left, leftist. Okay, there's some. You pick, you pick the one that bothers you the most. Okay, and then we go back and look at the scripture. Okay, because it says here so that. Th- what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called, uh, and you fill in the blank, and what just really bugs in. And that's what it was. It was like, Jesus is from Nazareth? Did anything good come out of Nazareth? Pick a city around the United States that you think they're not doing things right, and you go, well, Jesus is from that city? Come on, can anything good come out of that city? Well, you know, obviously, <laughs> yes. Uh, but that's what it's looked at. So with that in mind, okay, with being from, from Nazareth, uh, not being a good thing, then we can look into the Old Testament. And we can look at Isaiah uh, chapter 53 and verse 3. And this comes from a portion of Scripture. It's called the suffering servant. 
It's, when you read it, if you know about the, the, the death and burial of Jesus Christ, if you know that story, when you read this in the Old Testament, you're going, that is foretelling what's going to happen. This is foretelling about Jesus, that he is the suffering servant. This one verse comes from, I could read a bunch from that, but I'm going to pick the one verse from it. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So the scripture said he was not liked, and we didn't add anything to help make him look better. Okay, He was just a despised man. That's what it's saying in the Old Testament, predicting about Jesus. The kingdom that's around, the kingdom that we exist in, wants to reject God's kingdom. The thing that we can rejoice about in this is that Jesus loves his fiercest enemies. Because when you read all the scripture, when you take and you put all of it together, you find that ultimately Jesus sacrifices himself. Listen, most stories that, that get told have a good guy and a bad guy in it. And so we read it and we like to relate you know, to the good guy. And we don't want to be the bad guy in the story. And so as we have the story that we just read, the bad guy ultimately is Herod. And a lot of us will say, let's take Herod and throw him out because, you know, obviously he was a very evil man. He made a choice that I would never consider. But let's, let's look at Herod just from a little bit different light, okay? See, he's a man that's in a position and somebody comes and says, we're going to... Take your position. And this is what he's thinking. Somebody is going to invade my kingdom. They're going to invade my life. They're going to invade my plans and my desires. And when you look at it from that way, can't we say that also? Can't we go and look at Jesus and go, if I follow Jesus, I'm afraid that he's going to invade my kingdom, invade my life, invade my plans, and he's going to invade my desires. We're not so far from Herod when we look at it from that way. The reality is in our hearts and minds, we all want to reject him. And this is the core of what it means to be a sinner. You see, the story that we have here in Matthew chapter 2 is not just the story of what happened 2,000 years ago with the, with the birth of Jesus or 3,000 years ago with the Old Testament already telling you that this Messiah was coming. I mean, those are all amazing, and, and, and it, it's fun to, to put it all together. It helps us in our ability to, to grasp that the Scripture is really true, to, that all these pieces of the puzzle could come together in such a way that it, it just couldn't happen without it that the predictions were really telling you what was going to happen. But this story is also about you and me. See, we're all enslaved to sin. We're all in need of a Savior. And so the story that we get painted, that, that Jesus introduces the new exodus because we need to exit out of sin, just like the children of Israel needed to be taken out of Egypt. And when Jesus is there for, for those who hurt, we hurt. We make choices. We make decisions that we are the blame for. 
And when we look in the mirror, that's all that can be blamed, is that person staring back in the mirror. But, But Jesus is telling us there is hope. There is hope beyond the choices that we make, because we've all made the wrong choices. There is hope that we can overcome those and we can live a godly life and have a meaning and a purpose. And, of course, Jesus loves his fiercest enemies because it's you and me. It's you and me. God doesn't judge us by all these different choices he makes. The choice is, do we accept him or do we reject him? And... If we are rejecting him, we are his fiercest enemy. But he loves us. But he loves us. That's why I always get, somehow I go back and I get to my favorite verse. You've heard me preach. It happens all the time because this verse always comes back into a story. And it's in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. And it says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemy, Christ died for us. Though we are his fiercest enemies, Christ died for us. And that's the ultimate, that's the Christmas story. And if I was Paul Harvey, I'd go, and now you know the rest of the story. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the story that we have, sometimes overlooked, and yet the great joy and hope that we couldn't, couldn't ever see if we just kind of read it and just go on. But when we looked at the scripture and find the meaning and the stories behind it, that you had a plan from way back and that Jesus was going to come and that he was going to remind us of those old stories so that he could write on our hearts a new story, a story of hope and excitement and a story for all eternity that we can have hope no matter what the situation is, even if we're the fiercest enemy that we think God has ever seen, that he still loves us and he still died for us and paid the price for us. He paid our ransom. Thank you, Father. If any here today need to to make a decision for you, I ask, Father, that you give them the courage to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be in the back. If you've got any questions or anything, uh, I'd love especially to talk to you if you have any questions about knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, But if there's anything else I could help you with, I'd be glad to do it.